John Dawson wrote a book called Taking Our Cities for God. And he wrote in this book, according to the Bible, our lives are lived in the midst of an invisible spiritual war. And a lot of times we forget that. We're fighting a battle. He says one of the most dangerous things we can do is simply to ignore this reality. We forget. We're busy with life, right? We're relating to people. We're trying to make ends meet. You know what I mean? We're out here, you know, doing the thing that, you know, is on our heart and mind. Maybe we're aspiring to do something with life or, to, you know, getting by or building relationships. But we have to accept as true We often live as though this battle, the spiritual reality, this invisible reality is in some far off mission field, but it's not happening in our community. The fact is there's a battle raging over our city and it's affecting each and every one of us right at this moment. And we need to be aware of that. I've been to the mission field. Life there is no different than life here. It's just Culturally, it may be different, but the battle is the same. It's the same uh, power of God at work in Red Deer as it is when I go to India or wherever else I'm in, Mexico, whatever country I've been to. It's the same power. And people's eternal destinies are being shaped by our involvement or our lack of involvement in the battle. Do you realize the lives of children are at stake? You know what? We have a responsibility to this next generation. Uh, the lives of our friends and our coworkers and our fellow students are dependent on our willingness to be engaged in this battle. How are we going to respond? You know, I think a lot of times we just don't even think about it. Just not in our radar, right? And so we become indifferent, a little apathetic. And if life is good, we really forget. You know, because we're enjoying God's blessings in our lives. Isn't that true? But boy, when it gets more difficult, I mean, yeah, we start realizing, yeah, something's going on here. And uh, there's a lot of difficulties happening in our culture right now that we just seem to be you know, indifferent towards. And yet I believe that we're the only people that can make the big difference in our culture today. We're the people that can shape a nation. We're the people that can impact our community. We're the people that can have an impact even in our own family situation. I want to talk about that. Because you know, a lot of times we think the battle is with flesh and blood. We think the problem is with our spouse, with our kids, with our boss, with our employee. That's what we think the problem lies. And I'm going to say to you today, we're not wrestling against flesh and blood. That's what Paul writes to us in Ephesians chapter 6. But our battle is against principalities and powers. We need to identify that. And then we need to identify how are we supposed to respond when people are not treating us so nicely. When people are saying nasty things about us. When no one, we feel maligned or rejected or hurt. And we build walls and indifference and resentment and apathy in our lives. I want to talk about that this morning. How can we get past all that stuff? How are we going to respond to this battle in this coming year? Because I think the way we respond to it is going to affect how 2018 turns out. You know, you and I can become, you know, just passengers on the train or we can become engaged in this battle. And I'm going to talk about how that happens. And I'm going to do it from the Old Testament. We're going to turn to First Chronicles, a book that a lot of us avoid reading because it starts out with a lot of genealogies. And there's a lot of good stuff that I could talk you know, and show you how these genealogies worked and all the rest of it. But I'm going to turn to chapter 18. And what it is is a summation of David's life and reign, okay? And it's actually written long after David had reigned. It's actually written what we'd call the post-exilic period. It means after David had reigned and there was about hundreds of years of descendants ruling and reigning, and then eventually, you know, they had so disobeyed God, God allowed them to go into exile. This book is actually written when they're coming back from exile, 
They're kind of broken, defeated, you know, insignificant. It just seems like, you know, where's God in all of this mess? And uh, is there any hope for us? And I want to talk about that because we can see in our culture today the rise of evil. How many notice it? There's a rise of evil today. It's very, very predominant. It's ascending. And sometimes as a church, we feel like, you know what, our voice is not being heard. And we feel like we're a minority position and we're out of step with the rest of the culture. Anybody feel that way? You're kind of out of step with where most people are at. The value systems are changing so dramatically in our culture. And yet, you know, as believers, we feel like, you know what, we're getting further and further afield from where the rest of the world has gone. Isn't that true? And if you're going to be a biblically oriented, have a biblical worldview, you're going to be out of step with this culture. So how are we going to deal with that? You know, do we just kind of accommodate and just jump in where the culture's at so we just kind of fit in and we don't want anybody to think we're weird, you know? Are we allowing just the fear of humanity to drive our lives? But the Bible tells us and warns us in Proverbs that's the fear of man that brings a snare to our soul. And what about the fear of God? And what about what God thinks about our lives? And what about the way God is evaluating each of our lives today and how we're relating to each other moment by moment? Because I think God is assessing what we are doing very carefully. So I want to look at that today. So I want to look at two basic concepts regarding the nature of spiritual warfare. And the first one is, who is the authority behind spiritual victory? So what we're going to do is look at David's life. And how many recognize in the Old Testament, those are literally physical and literal battles. But how do we apply that to the New Testament when we're dealing with spiritual realities? God's not asking us to go out with spear and javelin and shield and start taking people on and wiping them out physically. So how do we apply, you know, these battles in the Old Testament we bring an application into the New Testament and into the 21st century? Isn't that a good question? In other words, we're going to have to take a look at how we're going to interpret this so that it fits our daily lives today. And I believe there is an interpretation. I believe that it's meant to be spiritualized. You know, God's not asking us to literally and physically beat up on people, okay? That's not what he's asking us to do. But Because Paul tells us the warfare we're fighting is not fleshly. It's not carnal, but it's mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. So the battle that's going on is actually a battle that's happening in the spiritual arena. And we need to recognize that we're in a spiritual arena. We all are, and especially as children of God, we're actually in God's kingdom, and it's a spiritual kingdom. And we've come alive to the spiritual kingdom. So how do you and I engage in the spiritual battle? And that's what we're going to answer today. So... Who is actually defeating the powers of darkness, not only in our lives, but also in the lives of people in our community? Who has the resources and strength to defeat the enemy of our soul? Who blesses us and gives us the people and the material resources and the wisdom to successfully live life? How many know what the answer is? It's obvious, isn't it? Who? God does, right? That's simple answer, right? But I think what's more difficult is what you can know an answer, you can understand the truth, but there's a great gulf between knowing something and applying it. And I think that's where we struggle as Christians. We have a lot of information. We have a lot of knowledge about the Bible and about God and all the rest of it, but we're a little weak on the application side. How many say that's probably true, pastor? I'm a little weaker in that side. So how do I take this beautiful truth that God is the authority, he's the power, he's the resource behind it all. If 
God is in this business of, you know, making us victorious. Why am I living such a defeated life? Isn't that a great question? And my answer would be because we're not taking the application of these things and bringing it into our lives. And so today, I want to just challenge us to begin to apply this into our lives in such a way that we can begin to move from living a life of despair and defeat and discouragement and depression. And all of a sudden, we appropriate some of these things and we begin to experience victories and, you know, joy and hope. Isn't that great? And that we actually are, you know, we're actually standing on guard. We're making a difference. We're becoming one of God's elite prayer soldiers. Because we're going to talk about the nature, how prayer gets involved in that. Talk about how we can become a spiritual warrior and actually begin to see the powers of darkness defeated in our lives. Just by the way we treat people. We're going to talk about some of the tools we can use to actually win those kinds of battles that we're going to be faced with. Because we are being faced with them. Well, first of all, you've already said it, the battle really does belong to the Lord. He's the one that brings the victory. And throughout 1 Chronicles chapter 18, all the way to chapter 20, verse 3, we're going to discover the real reason David's victories occurred over his enemies. And the chronicler, as already said, wrote far later than in the time of David. So here's the verse. I love it. The Lord gave David victory everywhere he went. How many like that verse? I just like stick your name in there. The Lord gave Paul victory everywhere he went. Paul Miller and I, we like that. Don't you? But why don't you just stick your first name in there? How many are going to stick your name in there? How many like that? Isn't that an awesome verse? You got to put your name in there. We got to start applying this to our lives. Now, this is a summary statement. What I mean by that is, you know, David's life, he had ups and he has downs. He was mostly obedient, but he did disobey. I mean, you study his life. He's all over the map, right? He was up encouraged at times. He was discouraged at times. He's just like us. He's an ordinary person. But the summation of his life is that wherever David went, he experienced victory. God was with him and victories were happening in his life. And as we're going to see, David left an amazing legacy to his son Solomon. As a matter of fact, you know, a lot of times Solomon gets credited for building a temple, but really it's David's legacy. First of all, David fought all the battles that brought peace to the realm. Number two, David was the guy that acquired all the material wealth that Solomon used to build the temple. Should be called David's temple. He did all the work. But Solomon gets all the credit, right? Because David was not allowed to do that, but he prepared the way. He built a legacy so his son could do it. But you know, one of the problems of just getting everything handed to you is you get an entitlement mentality. You have life, it's just too easy. There's no battles. And you don't develop strength. You know, David had to fight battles all his life. That was, you know, we all think, oh, that's a bad thing. No, it was a good thing. David served God all his life. Solomon didn't have to fight those battles at the end of his life. He went off the rails. The wisest guy became a fool. The guy that, you know, started out trusting God, turned his back on God, began to worship all these idols and turned his back on God and no longer trusted God. He was no longer a person who feared the Lord. And his life became a mess and then was unraveled before his eyes. So it is God who gives us these victories in our lives. You know, he's already defeated the powers of darkness through his work on the cross. And that's what the apostle Paul tells us. Listen to what he says. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. Isn't that great? That's what God did. He brought us to life. And he forgave us all our sins. How many here in this room you can say, 
I've received forgiveness for all my sins. Or are you beating yourself up because of something you've done wrong? Oh, now we're getting down to practical application, right? Do we take that seriously? God forgave us all our sin, not just some of it. You know, people sometimes don't forgive you for sin. Isn't that true? Come on now. Isn't that, isn't, are, are we kind of conditional as human beings? But God is unconditional. He forgives all of our sin. And we have to receive that forgiveness in our spirit and say, God, I'm so thankful you forgave all my sin, not just some of them. You say, well, but I'm still tormented by things in my life that haunt me. And I'm still wrestling with some sin issues. Listen, he forgave all your sins, even the ones you're wrestling with. He's forgiven. I love that. Let's embrace that truth. Hang on to that. Say, Lord, thank you that you've forgiven me, even with the things I struggle with. You're a forgiving God. Having canceled the written code. What's the written code? It's the law of God. With its regulations, that was against us. You see, the law just points out what we do wrong. How many know that's what the law does? Tells you where you messed up. But what does Jesus do with the law? It says here, that stood opposed to us. He took it away and nailed it to the cross. Aren't you glad that God nails sins to the cross? Aren't you glad that God takes them away? Some of you are. Some of you go, why are you so excited about this, Pastor? You know, if we could get a hold of this in our innermost being, we'd be a lot freer. If we could get a hold of this truth in our innermost being, we wouldn't be struggling with sin as deeply. You know, you are forgiven. Just walk around, I'm a forgiven person. Thank you. You know what? I don't have to sin because there's a power in me that's greater than the power of sin. It's called the grace of God. It's called the spirit of the living God. Man, hang on to that. It says, and having disarmed the powers and the authorities, he made a public spectacle of them triumphing over them by the cross. And so through Jesus' death and resurrection, he defeated the powers of sin, Satan, and the gates of hell. Hallelujah. You know what? God did it. God does it. He does it inside of us. So what is he telling us? Well, Christ has no power defeating Satan. But sometimes we do. Because apart from Jesus, we're no match for the enemy. Jesus tells us that in John 15. He says, apart from me, you can do nothing. You can't live in victory apart from me. It's so as I abide in him, I have victory. I got to stay close to Jesus. That's where the victory is. Victory is in Jesus. It's not in myself. It's not in my abilities. Even to do good, it's in Christ. I got to stay close to Jesus. And when I stay close to Jesus, there's victory in that. And then it goes on, you know, so often what happens is <coughs> the enemy, have you noticed this, that the, the more you press into God, the more intense the battle becomes. Anybody discovered that? And that's the reason why we back off. And I'm going to argue today, that's the reason why you got to press in. Because when there's a value, and I'm going to talk about the values of fighting. This is the only church you're going to hear about, the value of fighting. Everybody's for peace. I'm for, I think peace only comes through fighting. It's a different concept, but I'll prove that to you. Hang in there. Okay, Jesus had to fight a battle in order to bring peace to us. And you know, you and I only have peace today because 70 years ago, a lot of young men gave their lives so we could have peace in this country. It comes through war. It comes through battle. Peace comes through battle. 
So we have this funky idea today that everybody, kumbaya, everybody has peace and everybody has to tolerate everything. Listen, God is opposed to evil. As a matter of fact, he tells me I'm supposed to hate evil. And why do we hate evil? Because it destroys human beings. Okay, so if we really love people the way we think we do in this culture, we don't tolerate evil. We hate it because it's destroying people. And we are here to love people, but to hate evil. That's a radical thought. The world doesn't think like this. They say tolerate evil. We're legalizing evil now. You think that's going to help us? Oh, I can tell you what's going to happen. Give it five more years. There's going to be so many more problems because we're legalizing evil. We're going to go, how can we have all these new problems? We cannot seem to connect the dots back. You see? Problematic. Okay. But the enemy comes. He's already defeated. So what does he use? Very subtle. He's a deceiver. He's a liar. He's an intimidator. He's an accuser, a false accuser. He's going to come against you. You think just because you are saved that he's not going to battle with you? He don't care if you're on the mat. You say, look, I don't want to fight, devil. He goes, I don't care. I'm going to pound on you. So you better wake up. And then there's some other folks going, you know, I don't want to mess with all this stuff, pastor. I'd rather just be indifferent to this and apathetic and complacent. Then maybe he'll leave me alone. Meanwhile, a whole bunch of people around us are perishing. That's what's happening. That's the result of that tactic, okay? So what are you telling us to do? I'm telling you to go out and fight. That's what I'm telling you to do because there's rewards that go to the victors. Do you know that? Listen to what happened with David. He lived this life and it says, after the battles, chapter 18, verse seven, then David took the gold shields carried by the officer of Hadadezer and brought them to Jerusalem. That's the spoils of war. How many know there's always spoils to war? See, if the devil wins, he takes his spoils, he takes people into captivity. But you know what? On the other side, if we fight the battle and we win these battles, there's spoils. I'm gonna show you what they are. When two king of Hamath heard that David had defeated the entire army of Hadiazar, king of Zobah, it says he sent his son Hadaram to King David to greet him and congratulate him on his victory in battle over Hadiazar, who had been at war with two. And Hadaram (coughs) brought all kinds of articles of gold, silver, and bronze. In other words, David is enriched not only by the spoils of war, but with new alliances. Isn't that great? How many go, yeah, I see that. I can see that in a war. Spoils go to the victors, right? That's a saying. That's true in the spiritual realm. Spoils go to the victor. When you and I engage in spiritual warfare, there are victories. You say, what are the victories, pastor? Let me tell you what they are. I'm glad you asked that question. Because some of us wonder about it. Well, here's some of the, here's the victors, victories that we get. Number one, how many know it's very costly to live a self-destructive life. When you're addicted to chemicals, that's costing you relationships. When you're in an addictive behavioral pattern like gambling, it'll cost you not only finances, it'll cost you relationships. There's always a price to pay when we're in bondage to things. 
But when we're living in victory, we're not dealing with these addictions. Hallelujah, we're free. Isn't that great to be walking around free? Oh, how about the people that have you know, emotional scars because of unhealthy relationships? Then there's financial losses. Many times that's because we, we make poor financial decisions. I mean, no, that's true. And what motivates poor financial decisions a lot of times is greed. I was getting quiet. I'm meddling. I'm doing it on purpose. Because I think we need to know how this applies to our lives. So when I'm walking in victory in my life, not only am I free and enjoying life to its fullest, Jesus, I come to give you life and that more abundantly, but now I'm free to help other people. Some of us would love to help people, but we're so messed up, we don't have time to help anybody else because we're focused on ourselves. Right? Come on. It's all about us. Got all these issues, can't get past them. House is out of order. Hard to help other people. That's what happens. So it's good to actually go into battle. And I've already said about David, listen to what David did with all the spoils. Here's another interesting thing. Verse 11, David, King David dedicated these articles to the Lord. Why did he dedicate them to God? Because David was smart. He goes, God gave me that victory. God's the one that's blessing me. I'm going to give it back to God. How many see that? It says it right there. And as he'd done with the silver and the gold, he had taken from all these nations, Edom, Moab, and the Ammonites, and the Philistines, and Amalek. So David now, he sets up Solomon to be able to do a great work. He's, he's got left, he, he's actually acquired more than his generation needs. He's able to give to the next generation. Do you know the righteous because they use their, you know, they walk with God. God blesses their lives. They have enough to bless another generation. But if you live a sin-filled life, you'll have nothing. You'll, you'll be a pop. You'll, you'll be struggling in your own life, and you'll have nothing to give to the next generation. Not only that, you won't give anything to the work of God. Look, you know, I think so often we struggle with the issue of giving as God directs in our lives because we have the wrong attitude, wrong thinking. Listen. We feel as if what we have belongs to ourselves and that we're responsible for our successes in life. See, that's, that's, that's so foreign to a person that's godly. Doesn't think that way. Can I just say something? Your body, if you're a child of God, your body doesn't belong to you. Bible says your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Listen, my body doesn't even belong to me. My wife does not belong to me. My children do not belong to me. Anything that I have does not belong to me. They've all been given to me by God. Everything. I own none of it. All I'm going to do is steward what God brings into my life. In other words, I have a responsibility to use what God has given me for the right purposes. And think about materialism. They, you know, the things that we possess, you know, the material things, they either possess us or we possess them and use them for the glory of God. A lot of people, they're possessed by their things. Matter of fact, the more things you have, the more things you have to serve. Anybody figured that out yet? Anybody know that? That's the way it works. You're just a servant of the things you have. So you need to know, God, I'm going to stand before you one day. I have to give an account of what I've got going on here. 
Paul says, whatever you do in word and deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. In other words, I'm living to please one person. You know, it's so liberating. That's all I've been trying to do my whole life as a Christian. I'm living to please one person. Can you imagine passing this large church? Everybody has an idea in this room. And people tell me how to run the church all the time. If I did everything people told me to do, we wouldn't do anything. Some of them are even contradictory to each other. I hate to tell you guys that. So how do we decide? Well, I'm trying to listen to the people that have the most maturity and wisdom. And then I say, Lord, what are you supposed to do here? And hopefully we're trying to please God. There's only one person at the end of the day I've got to stand before. It's not you. It's God. How did I do? Right? What are you giving me? That's true of all of us. God has given us resources to accomplish his will in our lives. Not only did God bless David with victories over his enemies and the spoils of war, but he also blessed David with the people resources to actually operate his kingdom. And you read that. And I think that's another issue in spiritual warfare. David reigned over all Israel, doing what was just and right for all his people. Isn't that neat? That tells me he wasn't partial to people. He tried to maintain an impartial stance towards people. How many think that's kind of important? We have to learn to be impartial. That's hard to do sometimes, right? There's some people we really like and some people we don't really like. Let's be honest. Do you like everybody the same? No. That's okay. Just as long as you're not impartial. You know, you have to, especially if you're a leader of an organization, you've got to treat people fairly. Otherwise, it creates all kinds of problems. And the people in the congregation, I've got to treat fairly. You know, it's very important we do that. David did that. James warns against showing partiality to rich people over poor people. He warns against that. David, like his godly predecessor, realized that ministry has to be done through other believers. And so he appointed different people over different aspects of his kingdom. Joab was over the army. Jehoshaphat was the recorder. Zadok uh, was, and a number of other people were priests. Shavas, Shavas was a secretary. Benaiah was over the Kiranites and Pelethites. These are worship people. David's sons were chief officials at the king's table. He was raising a princess, people to govern. You know, one of the things we have to realize is that we have to recognize that different people have different gifts and need different opportunities to serve. And one of the problems that pastors have is to release ministry. It's true. And, you know, I learned this as a new pastor. The key to actually seeing the church grow was to release the people to do the ministry. Isn't that interesting? And to trust them. How many know that takes, you have to have trust to do that. But you know what I found out? The church is healthier. That's the way God designed it. He wants us all to participate. God is not interested in spectators, folks. He wants us all to be involved. That's why we have such a high value here about your involvement in ministry in the church. Because we know that that's what it takes for you to grow and to bless other people. Isn't that amazing? So that's important to us. That's part of the warfare. Because a lot of times we want to hoard things to ourselves, right? Isn't that true? Well, I mean, if, we, if you pastor a smaller church, you're only the only pastor. Everybody thinks you're great. If you have other pastors, other people go to other people. I go, fine, let them go. You, gotta, you have to release and relinquish. The secret of success in life is to open our hands and to let things go. 
And so many of us are hanging on to things. It's just so crazy. But just remember, when you have your hands closed, pretty hard to receive too. But to open them up. But if you open them up, things can come and go. You see that? Very important. Right attitude. Do you know, the last week, the Spirit of God's been speaking into my own personal life and, been, and really emphasizing this powerful thought to me over and over again that God is going to judge all of our lives. As a matter of fact, I was reading this morning and I just dropped it in the sermon. He says, Jesus says, Behold, I am coming soon. My reward is with me and I'm going to give to everyone according to what he has done. We need to understand something. Yes, we're saved by God's grace. We cannot earn it. I get it. But sometimes in the Protestant tradition, we get lazy. Everything's of grace. That's good. But if you really have grace, it should motivate you to do good works. And God saves us so that we can serve others. And that's part of our development process. And so I'm just going to challenge you. You have to recognize that at the end of your life, you're going to stand before God, just like I am. God's going to evaluate our lives and see what we really did with the grace of God in our souls. You've got to ask yourself a question, you know. What am I doing with my life? Am I really using it to bring glory and honor to God? Am I watching over? See, we're thinking of a big picture, but let me, go, let me bring it down to a daily application. How do I treat people today? How do I treat my spouse? What are my words like? Wow, every careless word is being, is being recorded. God, God says, I'm going to judge you based on the words you're using, the tone of your voice. You know, it's so easy. You know, how many know sometimes your, your spouse says something or somebody says something and you go, oh, I've got a good zinger. You know what I mean? Does everybody understand what I'm talking about? I got a good comeback. This is going to really do them in, right? Come on. And all of a sudden, you're, but you're saying to yourself, I cannot say these words because I'm going to stand before God and give an account. And I'm actually going to hinder and destroy this relationship by saying those words. And to me, the person is more important. And if they think they're right, fine, let them think that. They may be right. They may not be right, but who cares? At the end of the day, the relationship is more important. That's how you have 50 years, folks. You cannot just, you know, zip things off the top of your lips, you know, and just fire things off. No, you got to work at this relationship. And it's not just with our spouse, it's with our children. Sometimes as parents, we get careless. You know, we're the parent, we're the authority. We're going to tell them what we think. Yeah, but we're wounding their, and we're, 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 we're crushing their spirit. That's not good. What I want to do is lift them up and build them up and so that they feel confident, secure, and, and, and ready to take on the world because, you know, somebody believes in them. Isn't that important? You see how I'm applying this? This is warfare. See, we don't think of this as warfare, but this is warfare. It's how I'm relating and treating people day in and day out, how I treat the people that work for me or work around me. Do I build them up or do I tear them down? Am my words careless or thought-filled? I have to think about what's going on here. This is all part of the battle. Let me move on. Second point. Our involvement in the spiritual battle. What's our part? I mean, if God's the one that does the fighting, the Lord's, the battle is the Lord's, then what am I supposed to do then? Well, what is it that God's expecting from us? And I think this text says it very succinctly. Be strong and let us fight bravely for our people and the cities of our God. The Lord will do what is good in his sight. In other words, you know, it's so easy to get discouraged. How many here you might battle a little bit of discouragement? You ever battle discouragement? Anybody? Honestly? Okay, so how are we going to, we have to get past that. 
You know, we have to talk to our soul and say, hey, I got to be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. See, it says, be strong and let us fight bravely. You know, see, it's biblical to fight, but we got to understand what we're fighting. I think sometimes we think we're fighting people. No, people are not the enemy. See, we're not fighting against flesh and blood. We have another enemy. And I'm going to point out to you, if you're a child of God, you have enemies. Do I really, pastor? The Bible says, if they hated me, Jesus said, they're going to hate you. So if I'm really living the Christian life and the love of Christ is shining through me, there's going to be some people that just hate me. Just like they hated Jesus. They even crucified him. So now I got people hating me. Thank you, pastor. I I, I don't really want 2018 to have people hating me. But you're telling me that there's going to be people hating me? I'll tell you, if you are living for Jesus with all of your heart, there's going to be some people just hate you. They're going to hate what you stand for. They're going to hate who you represent. They're going to hate the way you treat them. You say, well, what do you mean? Yeah, they're treating you terribly. And what are you doing? You're loving on them. How many know that, you know, doesn't justify their position? Isn't that true? So they're not going to like that. And you got to keep loving and blessing and praying for them and doing good to them, you know, right? I, was, I told a little story about the, the, the driveway, the first service. Yeah, Andrea didn't get around to doing her driveway. And so her mail carrier wasn't happy with her. So she's out, you know, cracking up all the ice one day and she's, mail carrier comes by and she goes, I'm getting it done, I'm getting it done. And the mail carrier was upset with her and said, that should have been done. She said, well, I couldn't get to it. So she wasn't happy with Andrea. So Andrea talks to me and she, so then a little later on, she goes, I said, well, you got to pray for her and do good to her. And uh, Andrea baked her cookies. Isn't that good? Isn't that a good idea? Yeah. And the lady softened right up. You know, after getting the cookie, she wrote a little note. Thank you for the cookie. She got real sweet. How many know when you, you know, now she could have retaliated and escalated, right? Hey, listen, you know, I did my best, blah, blah, and you're treating me like this? No. You overcome evil by doing good. Isn't that true? Yeah, so not only did the ice melt, but the heart melted there. That's important, right? We want to do that with people. You know, but why don't we practice this on our spouses and our children? Let's start real close to home. You know, because I think if we can win the battle in our homes, you know, we would have healthier relationships at home. And that's important, by the way. We have good marital relationships. You know, the, the victims of divorce are the children. I don't, th- I don't know if we realize this. And we need to understand that. We can't just live selfish lives. Listen, I love his charge. Be strong and let us fight bravely. And why should we do this? He gives them a couple of reasons why they need to be prepared to engage the enemy. It's for the sake of others. We need to be strong in the Lord, not just for our own sake, but for the sake of others. Because when we're weak, we're useless. When we're defeated, we're not helping anybody else. We're broken. We're, we're out of the contest. But if we get strong in God and we can begin to help other people, that's powerful stuff and the enemy hates it. He says, let us fight bravely for our people. Isn't that a great thing? You know, I thought about it. Think about our children. Some children are struggling. Some of them are wayward. We should be fighting bravely for our kids in 2018. We should be fighting bravely for our young people in our church that are battling with things at school. We should be fighting bravely 
for people that are struggling in their marriages. We should be standing with them. You know, get easy to criticize them, right? What's with you? Guys, smarten up. No, we should be interceding and praying. The enemy's attacking. Let's get in there and engage in spiritual warfare and pray and ask God to do a mighty work and change minds and change hearts. Amen. Come on now. Think about this. You know, the book of Nehemiah was written about the same time as the Chronicles. And, and David, his soldiers, Joab and Abishai, they're fighting against the Ammonites. And look what Nehemiah says when Sambalat the Hornite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard about this. They were very much disturbed that someone had come to promote the welfare of the Israelites. Do you know the enemy hates it when we're out to do good for other people? You gotta expect opposition. You try to do the right thing, you should anticipate having opposition. We're walking around going, hey, I'm just trying to do the right thing here. I'm getting all this opposition, pastor. I'm going, that's normal. That's what you should expect. Do you think Jesus had no opposition? You haven't read your gospels. The more good Jesus did, the more opposition he had. If I'm gonna be more like Jesus, I should be having opposition grow in my life. I don't wanna hear this. I don't want to have enemies. You've got them. You know what I tell you? I love when I'm reading the scriptures that says, when you're doing what's right, even your enemies will be at peace with you. That tells me that you'll have enemies. Jesus said, I will prepare a table before you in the presence of your enemies. Why do we act like, you know, enemies? I'm a good guy. How many here, you have to be honest. I can't understand why they don't like me. I'm really wounded. Why do I have people that don't like me? I'm such a nice person. Come on now, let's be honest. How many, that's how you feel? You can tell me, that's how you feel. We all feel that way, don't we? Come on, let's be honest. We all think we're a good guy and everyone should like us. What's the deal here? I'm telling you, if you're really a good guy and a good gal and you're really like Jesus, there'll be people that'll hate you. You go, really? That's just messing with my head, pastor. You know, is that the Bible? I'm telling you, yes, it is. And that's why it throws us for a loop. We just act like, what's going on here? You go, I'm saying Jesus said, rejoice when people speak evil of you. You can do a little hallelujah dance. Thank you, Lord. I've got a few enemies, you know. But we just reserve that for winning the lotto, you know. See, I think we should have a little hallelujah dance. I've got a few enemies. Must be doing something right. Right? I'm just loving them and they're ticked off at me. You know, I've even had people try to get me fired when I was you know, working in the workplace because I was loving on Jesus and it was convicting people. How many know people get convicted by people who are living right? Because they're not living so right. They want everybody to tolerate evil. I prefer not to tolerate evil. <coughs> Excuse me. Here we read in the story here, Job, Joab saw that there were battle lines in front of him and behind him, so he selected some of the best troops in Israel and he deployed them against the Arameans. And then he put the rest of the men under the command of Abishai's brother and they were deployed against the Ammonites. And Joab said, if the Arameans are too strong for me, then you're to rescue me. Notice the lack of pride. In other words, I'm in a battle, but I'm not in the battle alone. You know, most Christians in North America, we have a mindset that we're isolated and alone. That's why we're defeated. You don't have this mindset in Asia. 
Doesn't even, they don't even think like we do. It's way beyond their thinking. They pray together. They think together. They're in it together. They weep together. They're in community. It's powerful. Joab says, listen, if I'm going to be defeated, I'm looking for you to help me. And if you're having a problem, he says, if they're too strong for you, I'll come and help you. Man, we've got to cover each other's backs. And you know, I would say this in marriage so often, it's so easy to blame the other person for the way things are. Come on, let's be honest. We can, you know, say all kinds of stuff, all the rest of it. Why don't we just stop and say, listen, we're in a battle. You're not my enemy. You're the person I love and I married for a reason. I'm going to get, let's just kneel down right now and ask God to forgive us. Why don't we just say, God, we need your help. You know, we are, we are not fighting with flesh and blood. We are being attacked as a couple. We want to kneel down and start praying and crying out to God. Would to God more Christians would actually do this. But what we have, it's about me. We're so individualistic. We see the problem as the other person. When we need to humble ourselves and say, God, we're in this together. You know, Tell me in this room, is there one person in this room has never made a mistake? Nobody can say that. We've all made mistakes. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. We need to learn how to love each other. We need to learn how to forgive one another. We need to learn how to support each other. We need to learn how to pray for one another. We need to learn how to cry out on behalf of other people. You see, we're so caught up. My life is good. Why would I come to the prayer and fasting nights when my life is going so good? What about for others? What about for our city that's going downward? What about for our nation that's embracing evil? Why don't we cry out and say, God, forgive us? What have we allowed to happen in our own country? You know, we can sing the national anthem... You know, God, we stand on guard for you. Do we really stand on guard? Oh, I pray for a country once in a while. Why don't we intercede? Not just as one person in our prayer time, but what about collectively? God, forgive us. Help us to be the people we need to be in Red Deer and our surrounding communities in central Alberta. Help us to stand up and to be strong enough to know that if I stand up, I can come back to my church family and I know we're gonna pray together. We can stand together and make a difference. Second reason for the battle. He said, let's fight for the cities of our God. Let's fight these battles in order for God's kingdom to be established in our community. As we consider the hour in which we're living, where we're legalizing evil, where most of the vulnerable of our society, which are our children, are at the greatest risk, we need to pray like we've never prayed before. Even a slow, gradual erosion over time leaves great damage, and we've seen that. You know, some of us may be wondering, you know, we've written letters, we've picketed and boycotted all the rest of it. But if we're gonna turn the tide of unrighteousness, it starts in our own hearts. You know, every great move of God, you know what it was that changed the nation? It was individual Christians coming together repenting of their sins, asking for forgiveness, and God starting to do something in the lives of believers. And literally the fruit of that was a transformed family, a transformed community, a transformed nation. It starts with us. 
while we're sitting here wondering how can we change this nation, let me tell you how we can change this nation. If we would get on our face before Almighty God and humble ourselves and confess our sins, God would hear our cry. God would raise up some of the people in this church and some of you would be running for city council. Some of you would be running as MLAs and MPs and all the rest of it and saying, you know what, I'm going to go in, but I'm not just going to go in and do what most people do, be politically correct. I'm going to go in and help turn the tide of evil in our land. (coughs) Read the life of William Wilberforce. You'll get a good idea what you should be doing. He stood up to evil. It was very unpopular when he spoke against slavery. I'll tell you, that was a very difficult thing. It took him an entire lifetime to repeal that law, but he did it because he stuck with it. The result of prayer and acting upon our prayers. When we get involved in the battle, the enemy will be defeated. And it really starts with prayer. Listen to what it says in 1 Chronicles 19. When Joab and the troops with him advanced to fight the Arameans, look what happens. They fled. It says, when the Ammonites saw that the Arameans were fleeing, they fled too before his brother Abishai went inside the city. So Joab went back to Jerusalem. People who find their strength in the Lord are able to win battles they never thought possible. We're able to see lives change. Some of the changes that we'll witness is the freedom from addictions. You know what? I'm opposed to even the idea of a drug injection site. I think people need to be delivered. I'm telling you what, what really needs to happen. Oh, you say, well, you know, these poor people, they can't help themselves. Let me tell you something. If they met Jesus, I believe Jesus has the power to set people free from addictions. He really does, folks. You know, you need to know that. We just, you know, read, read uh, David Wilkerson's book, uh, The Cross and the Switchblade, if you don't believe it. Read that book and it'll change your mind. You know, Teen Challenge Story. What an amazing story of drug addicts you know, the, the government program could do nothing to change these people's lives. But when God's spirit came in, they were transformed. You know, the restoration of relationships. Why? Because sin is addressed. Notice what happens when you start fighting the battle. After the Arameans saw that they had been routed by Israel, they sent messengers and had the Arameans brought from beyond the river, which showpatched the commander of Hadadazar's army leading them. The enemy will come back and reinforce himself and come back even stronger. Really, pastor? What is this telling me? The battle never ends until I'm in heaven. We gotta change our thinking. Whoa, we just won a great victory. Woo-hoo-hoo-hoo. I'm saying, prepare for the next round. And these guys did. Look what happens. You know, Jesus said it here. When an evil spirit comes out of a man, if he, he goes to an arid place seeking rest and does not find it, then he says, I'm going to return to the house I left. And when it arrives, it finds the house unoccupied, swept clean and put in order. See, that's what the world says. All we need to do is sweep the house clean. I'm going, no, you don't. You've got to fill it with something. You can't take something out without putting something in. You've got to put something in that's greater than what you took out. Look what it says. And then it goes and takes with it seven other spirits more wicked than itself. And they go in and live there. And the final condition of that man is worse than the first. That's how it will be with this wicked generation. What is God saying to us? Listen, we've got to get serious, folks. We've got to get rid of the junk and put in the good stuff. So when the bad stuff comes back, we have the good stuff in. Does that make sense? I mean, if you get rid of the devil, you've got to put God in your life in a big-time way. So when he comes back, you've got more of God in you, and there's just no space for him. That's, I'm, I'm trying to 
paint it in very simplistic terms, but that's what has to happen. You know, listen to what happens in our text. When David was told of this, he gathered all of Israel. He didn't mess around. He goes, okay, enemy's coming back in greater force. We're going to go back out in a greater force. It says he crossed the Jordan. He advanced against him. He formed his battle line to meet the Arameans in battle. And they fought against him. And they fled before Israel. And David killed 7,000 of their charioteers, 40,000 of their foot soldiers. He also killed the commander. And when the vassals who were underneath this commander, this king, saw that they had been defeated by Israel, they made peace with David and became subject to David. Listen, you only get peace by winning battles. That's where true peace comes from. And they became subjected to David. You know what? When you and I surrender to Jesus, powerful thing happens. When we win these battles, what will happen is people will get saved and they will submit to Christ. That's when you have peace. And that's what needs to happen. We have too many unsubmitted people in our community. That's why we're falling apart. That's why there's so many battles going on. So what are we going to do about it? You know, what are we going to do about it? Well, this is what the early church did. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. You know, I could go through almost every chapter in the book of Acts and show you the church in prayer. And wherever they were praying, things were happening. And when people are not praying, things don't happen. Is that a coincidence or what? You know, some people say, I don't believe in God. I go, whatever. All I know is when I pray, things happen. Well, that's just coincidence. Yeah, but the more I pray, the more coincidences I have. That's all I've discovered. So you can say what you want. I just have a lot more coincidences happening when I'm praying than when I'm not. So I'm going to say this to us today. In 2018, we could sit down and say, okay, we had, I, you know, I had an amazing 2017. I can say that. Great year. But am I satisfied with that? Absolutely not. You go, why? Because I see our city in turmoil. I see our nation in turmoil. How can I be satisfied when I see that? I cannot. When I think of beautiful people like you, when I think of your families growing up in this garbage, and I know it's going to take people out, I cannot sit still and do nothing. So how am I going to start the new year? With prayer. You know, I discovered something. When you start praying with people, you bond with them at a different level. That's one thing I learned. Number two, what I've discovered is prayer is a very humbling and very vulnerable experience in life. I don't care how, many, how much education you have. I don't care your background. The moment two people pray together, we're equal at the foot of the cross. Isn't that a beautiful? Yeah, no one's better than anybody at that moment. We're equal. It's an equalizer. And when we start praying, I start hearing people's cry and I, you know what? I, I've discovered something. I've never connected with people in their strengths. But I do connect when I hear their vulnerabilities. I go, I can relate to that person. Look, they're struggling. They're, they're like me. They can struggle. When we pray, you're going to hear the true heart of a person. There's something powerful about praying. You know, prayer is so powerful that Jesus made a promise that if just two of you could agree as touching anything on earth, it shall be done for them in heaven. That tells me how hard it is to get two people in agreement. Isn't that true? Think about it. We see a lot more answers to prayer. That means we're not in agreement. Could you imagine a church full of people saying, God, we don't want to mess around in 2018. You know, we want to fight this battle. We're going to step up to the plate. 
We're going to fight. We're going to take spoils from the kingdom of darkness. You go, what are those spoils, pastor? Wouldn't it be great of a bunch of drug addicts, instead of having to go to the substance injection site, whatever, they have a new name for it now. We even relabel things, you know. It's not even an injection site. It's sub consumptive services. That's what it's called. We've relabeled it. Wouldn't it be more awesome if the people in our city said, you know what, you got addiction issues. If you go to this church, they'll help you. Wouldn't it be awesome if people, you know, you know, people started getting healed and all of a sudden people say, you know what, we can't do anything for you. But we've heard that when you go to this church, people pray and we know for a fact that they've been healed. Wouldn't that be awesome? But how's that going to happen? You think it's going to happen just because we're good looking? You know, we're nice guys and nice girls. You know, we really like people. No, I think we've got to have the power of God at work. We've got to humble ourselves and say, God, we can't do this without you. As a matter of fact, I can do nothing apart from Christ. So, you know, I think, I think you know, that's great. We have three days of prayer and fasting coming along. Somebody said, I've never fasted a day in my life. How about missing supper, joining us on Monday night? Maybe you'll like it so much you'll decide, you know, I'm going to try this on Tuesday night. By the time Wednesday night rolls around, you're going to say, you know, I just feel so good. What an amazing week this was. I think I've really gotten myself ready for 2018. But let's not stop there. We're going to do it more. We always do this about three times a year. But let me just say this. What about coming on Sunday night? You know, I come Sunday morning, but why don't I come and pray at the corporate prayer meeting? Instead of being 10 people, 15 there, should be 100 people praying. What do you think would happen if we had 100 people praying in another room and we're in this service? Don't you think the services would be growing when you got 100 people praying for people? What do you think is going to start happening when you got people crying out to God? Well, don't you think God's going to start answering prayer in a powerful way? What do you think? What do you guys think? Oh, I am so busy, Pastor. I got so much going on in my life. Let me tell you something. It's all about priorities. It always has been. You know, you have to make a decision today. You just say, what are my priorities in 2018? Am I God's servant? Does my body belong to God? Does everything I have belong to God? Does my time belong to God? Or am I going to have to give an account before God one day, stand before him, and God's going to say, okay, let's take a look at your life and go, I squandered most of it. I wasted it. Come on, you guys. You got to get a little tougher on yourself. I'm not trying to be tough on you. I'm not trying to chide you. I'm trying to challenge you this morning. I want you to start thinking, how do I want my life to go? I don't want to live with regret. I don't want to make bad decisions. I don't want to fool around. I'm going to stand before Jesus one day and he's going to look at my life and he's going to say, what did you do with what I gave you? And I want to be able to say to him, Lord, I gave you everything I had. I did not hold back. As a matter of fact, I'm going to tell you where my heart is at. These last years of my life, I want them to be the greatest years. I want to give more, serve harder. I want to see more people saved. I want to see the city turned around. I want to see our nation going in the right direction. When I finally come off the scene, I can walk before Jesus and say, Canada's in good shape, God. Wouldn't that be awesome? He says, yeah, I know. I saw what you guys did down there. I saw how that church got turned around. I saw how those people began to cry out to me. I saw how they began to repent and began to restore their own relationships with each other. I saw how they became focused on what was right and used their resources for the glory of God. I watched it and I was able to work powerfully through you. We have a choice. What are we going to do? Let's stand this morning. I have really shared my heart with you this morning. Did you get a sense?
that maybe, just maybe, we need to start getting serious with God. Maybe, just maybe, we need to change our priorities. Come on now. It's about priority. It always has been that. You know, my life verse is Matthew 6, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these other things, all these other things shall be given to you. Let's not focus on all the other things. That's what we tend to do. You know what? I've probably traveled more than many of you. God has blessed me in so many ways. It's not that I'm so smart. It's got nothing to do with it. Put God first. And he'll give you the desires of your heart. Put God first. And God will use you. And you're going to go, I can't believe God's using me. You know, I I wish my congregation that I grew up, I got saved in, could see me today. They would all stand up here and say, I couldn't see this. I couldn't see this. You know why? Because I was so broken when I became a Christian. I had nothing going for me. So I just gave everything to Jesus. Not too bad. I've had a good life. I have a great wife, great children, great-grandchildren. Phenomenal. Patty and I were talking about it. How blessed are we? We'd have never dreamed in a million years how good God would have been to us. He has been. But I'll tell you something. Put God first. Yeah, but I'm afraid, Pastor. Afraid of what? God can't take care of you. Well, I'm afraid of the economy. God's bigger than the economy. Well, I'm afraid of what people are going to say about me. Who cares? I could care less what people say. I'm only concerned about one. When I stand before Jesus, that's the one I care about. And I've been your pastor a long time. You'll, you'll find this out about me. I only try to please one person. His name's Jesus. I even get in trouble with Patty sometimes because my goal is not ultimately to please her. I may shock some of you. I love her, but I'm not trying to please her. I'm trying to please Jesus. Now, sometimes it pleases her. Most of the time it does. Right? But I think we need to start learning how to please Jesus. I'm serious about this. You do that, you'll have a healthier marriage. Because you'll watch what you say to your spouse. To me, my relationship with her is worth more than anything. That's more important to me. Same with my kids. Same with you. You know? Are we getting, how many are getting the picture? Getting it? How many say 2018, I want to do the will of God. I just want to go for it. I want to put him first. I want to seek his face. I want to fight those battles. I want to win those victories. I want to collect those spoils. Man, I want to see God do something. Is that you? What are you going to do about it? You're going to come and start praying, seeking God? You're just going to sit and do the same old stuff and just hope for the different results. You got to make choices, folks. You know, I went back to school so I could learn the Bible better. In my 50s, I'm learning languages. You know how hard that was? I won't even go through how hard it was. It just was. But I'll tell you why I did it. Because I wanted to be a better pastor. Because I want to do better at the end than I did at the beginning. You got to do things to make that happen. You can't just sit on your duff and do nothing and expect it to happen. It doesn't work that way. You've got to appropriate what God has done for you. I don't think I'm doing it. I recognize God does it. But if I don't step in and 
begin to cooperate with them, nothing happens. Does that make sense? You gotta cooperate. So let's pray today. How many here say, you know what? 2018, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make a decision. You know, the world can make resolutions, they never happen. You know why it can happen for you? You have God's spirit living in you. And that's what I say to him. Lord, I don't know how to fast. Can you help me? No problem. I'll help you fast. Anything God asks me to do, I just say to him, okay, God, you want me to do this? You're going to have to help me. And he does. He does help me. That's the secret. It's not me. It's Christ in me. It's the spirit of God in you and in me that can help us do it. So you can do it. That's why I'm preaching. And if God asks you to do something, you can do it. Because the spirit is in you. That's why you can do it. Stop looking at yourself. Don't tell yourself why you can't do it. I'm telling you, you can. You've got the spirit of God. If you're a child of God this morning, you have the spirit of God in you. You can do it. Don't make excuses. You're asked, if God asks you to do something, just go do it. Don't make any excuses. Go do it. You go, wow, I'm doing it. I'm going, yeah. If God tells you to do it, go do it. I'm catching on. Catching on, guys. How many say, Pastor, I'm going to join you this year. We're going to pursue God. We're going to put him first. We're going to make a difference. We're going to, we're going to see people saved, delivered, set free from drug addiction. I don't want to just be critical. I want to see God set captives free and in their right mind. Amen? I want to see them delivered. I want to see them set free. Hallelujah. I want to see marriages restored. I want to see relationships repaired. Lord, our hands are up. Let's lift our hands to God. We're not going to just be passive. We're going to be active. We're going to get involved. We're going to cry out to you, Lord. You're going to hear our cry. We're going to do what you're telling us to do. We're going to be obedient to what you're showing us. We're going to fight battles this year. It's not always going to be easy. We're going to fight more than one battle. We're going to fight many battles. But Lord, we believe we're going to win a lot of battles this year. We're going to take a lot of spoil. We're going to defeat the powers of darkness. Lord, help us not to be indifferent or apathetic or complacent. Lord, help us to be purposeful and have the right priorities. We just thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you as you leave this morning.